How many of you guys can raise your hand to the fact that you need to hashtag adult better? <laughs> hashtag adult better. Well, today's podcast guest, Pete Hardesty, a friend of mine for a very long time, but truly just reconnected in this past year. He has been a mentor in many ways through Young Life. If you've never heard of the Young Life organization, that helps internationally uh, people and adolescents specifically become who they were meant to be. And I was a little, in my formative years still becoming, I'm still becoming, as you know, with my new book that's out, always becoming sex, shame, and love. But before I understood identity, before I understood the depths of my relationship with the Lord, Pete Hardesty was there teaching me. He was planting seeds, and I believe our generations, especially with today's turmoils and traumas, need someone like Pete, who is now 30-plus years in the industry, specifically with the Young Life Organization, and a co-author to two Amazon number one best-selling books, both called Adulting 101, book one, Adulting 101, book two, so clever, helping children, kids, young adults. I think they're all kiddos until they're about 30, really. I call them the wandering years, and you'll learn why in this episode, but help them with real world success and understanding that success is an inner adulting thing, a mental health experience, and also, sure, there are real practical tools and tips. And so he does that between the two of these books alongside his co-author and He's brilliant. I'm grateful for his ministry, and I know that this is just the beginning. And I say that even after 30 years, he's got so much more. God has so much more in store for how he's going to transform lives. And so I hope you enjoy P. Artisty today, and we will be in touch soon. Don't forget to tag us, subscribe, and review, and we will leave you a comment back and share it on our socials. We love to do that, and I am grateful for your listenership. Thanks so much, y'all. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. FIT is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie-cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Here we are, the one and only Pete Hardesty. You guys, I'm so excited to have you here, Pete. Thanks for coming on. Tamara, thanks for having me. How oh, fun man. is this? It's awesome. You guys don't know the backstory, but we're about to get into it. <laughs> Pete and I have known one another, or at least of one another, uh, for, I had, to, I had to do the math on this, maybe. 40 years, 40 years. 40 years. I look good. I look really good. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like, tw- is it 20 years? 
I Gosh, think it, it would be 20 years. That's yeah. crazy to think about. So yeah. 20 years since high school, um, Pete has been a part of the Young Life organization for many, many years. And for those of you who have been following along with the Fit and Faith podcast or my story in any capacity, Young Life is um, very much ingrained in a part of who I am today um, on many different levels. And it'll actually be uh, blueprinted in my book that comes out next week. And mm-hmm. Pete is also an author himself, a actually a multi-author of two Amazon number one bestsellers. And so we'll get into the the goods of that. But I'm grateful to continue this friendship and, and let it evolve for the kingdom. And so thank you for, for showing up and connecting again. Who would have thought? Who would have thought all those years <laughs> back in Virginia Beach? You know, Tamara, it's so fun. It really is. It's crazy. So I'm going to have to tag all of our Young Life people here so that they can go back and listen to it. I'm yes. thinking some some of my faves who you were with what high school when or you or were you with all of Young Life Division at that point as well? No, in Virginia Beach, I started uh, leading at uh, my first year. I was Cox and Kempsville okay. together. They weren't meeting together, but my life was crazy. I, you know, I slept in the office sometimes. Not to good. do both. Yeah, <laughs> they're far away from each other. They're like three minutes away. It's then, true. Then I just did Kempsville for five years, and then Princess Anne my last year. Okay, so, and then you followed me to JMU. I did. I did. James Madison University. I mean, what a school. What a great I know. School, you know. It really is. It's really awesome. And now you're up in D.C. doing the Young College Divisional Coordinator role for the Eastern U.S., right? Yes. Young Life can't get rid of me. They've tried <laughs> to just keep hanging on. But now I kind of oversee and encourage and support the uh, our college work in kind of the um, East and North, North uh, Atlantic kind of region. Really cool. So that's been quite the career. Yeah, 24 years. I mean, it's all I've ever done since college. Wow. If I have to leave, I'm going to be like, what would I do? Yeah, what do I do now? Right. But I think that there's also that element of of sharpening and shaping that's transpired, that whatever it be, it'll be something you'll get to rely on all of the, the tools and talents that you have. Yeah. plentiful. Hope so. so we'll speak, speak to us about kind of the backstory to Pete. Like, how did you even get into Young Life in the first place? Were you always within church or within your faith or belief system? No, I didn't grow up really going to church. My mom was such an incredible person. She would try to drag us from time to time, maybe on holidays. And uh, But then I got into high school and I was a I was a fine kid. I wasn't getting into, but just starting to kind of go down a little bit of the party route. And I played soccer and an older guy on the soccer team asked me to go to Young Life. And I was a freshman. He was a junior. And I was thought I was way too cool for that. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm cool. It's good. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and then he said, Tamara, he said words that would forever change my life. He said, it's at Stephanie Selway's house. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, she was a junior also. And I, I knew her. She did not know me. I had this big crush on her. I, I, we, I think I bumped, we had like bumped into each other in the cafeteria. And I tried to say something. <laughs> and I think what had come out of my mouth was like, <laughs> something and she like looked and then walked off and so that's awesome i said we get we're gonna it's at in her house we'll go into her house and he's like yeah I said, well, all right i pick what time are you picking me up so he he picked me up we went and i just i don't remember much about what we did that that meeting but i just remember that all oh, so many different kids there the energy the fun it felt like everybody belonged i mean kids of all sizes were there and and then at the end this guy who at that time seemed ancient to me. He had to be at least 30 years old. <laughs> Stood up, <laughs> right? And he opens the Bible and starts reading. And I, look, I, did, I, I remember thinking to myself, do you know who these kids are? Like, yeah. 
they might kill you. I might uh, <laughs> not leave them, you know, but we don't, you're opening the Bible. It's a weeknight in someone's basement. And I, I don't remember again what he said, but I do remember thinking, huh, I didn't think Jesus really had anything much to do with my everyday life, but I was wrong. So I, I was hooked. And so I kind of went to Young Life for another a couple more years, but then at, at a summer camp, that's when I kind of called Lake Champion. That's when I, that's when God kind of said, okay, it's your time. Pluck, you know. And, that is so you know, amazing. So I've gone to Lake Champion as well. So I'm curious, being in the Young Life world for so long, do a lot of people who are now a part of Young Life have a similar story or like touch point from Young Life? I think so. A lot of the staff were impacted or gave their lives to Christ through Young Life uh, because we, we know it works. That's the one thing. It's like, well, we know this thing works. Maybe we yeah. should be involved in this. Yeah, we're still here. You got yeah. me, you know? Yeah. One of my mentors, Chuck Reinhold, would always say, I'm so glad Young Life didn't stop to, before they got to my high school. I love because, that. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, we're, we're homegrown fruit, some, some of them would say. Yeah. And I'm still in touch with my Young Life leader. Um, he still lives in Baltimore. That's where I'm from. Danny O'Brien and just a tremendous guy who's just walked with me for now. I mean, that was 1991, I think, when I gave my life to Christ. So, Tamara, that's 30 years ago. That's I mean, really crazy. Um, that's fun. really cool. I still have, um, sitting at my right over here, my Bible that Wynn Levis gave me oh when God. I spoke at the Young Life um, dinner, that banquet that you guys have for fundraising and stuff. Oh. when I was maybe a junior, a sophomore, a junior. And so that, that little thing goes with me on all my vacations, everywhere that I go. And um, it's definitely been an imprint in my life. And and I utilized it as a crutch towards running from God, actually, um, mm-hmm. for a season. And even in the season where you and I connected again, when I was going to the JMU Young Life for a little while, um, getting plugged into the middle school there and trying to help and trying to like just rediscover my identity in Christ. And I say rediscover mm-hmm. because I was so malleable ninth and 10th grade. I gave my life to Christ in ninth grade through a Young Life person who was like a young youth leader, Luke Barnes. You remember Luke? Luke. You can't forget Luke. Um, And then I just, I got really hurt by people, not right. Like that church hurt. People get church hurt and then they blame it on God. And I was doing that because I thought that these are the leaders that are supposed to engulf me in this, in this sad season where people found out that I had been, um, sexually immoral, essentially, at a young age, which is not abnormal, especially not abnormal for a lot of the kids that were going to Young Life. Um, we're, really so, yeah. It's not, not abnormal, right? It's normal. Right, right. Not, but yeah. I felt like I was completely ostracized. I felt completely like this isn't normal, and therefore you mm-hmm. cannot be a leader, and you cannot come, and all of these things. And I completely severed ties with my best friends from the last four years, three months before graduation. And so it was a really hard time. My parents didn't even know what happened. Um, I was really good at putting on a smile. And so I just leaned into hanging out with the kids who were willing and okay with my ulterior um, choices. And Mm. so going into college, I was just like, I I know what is calling me, but I still am hanging out in this other group of people. And so I just teeter-tottered for so long. Until I had in my like one moment, which was not until I was 29. So we were talking offline about this season between adolescence and adulthood and how critical it is for us to have our identity rooted. And I just, I I tried, I just couldn't, he didn't have me because I was prodigal. I was making my own choices, right? 
flesh was what, over. What at 29 or what, what was the, what, what was that moment? What brought you back? What, what made it so compelling then? That was a, a, my first full on Jesus encounter where I had had many, um, what I would call now in the understanding of many Holy Spirit experiences at Young Life and Rockbridge. And I can remember sitting under the stars at Rockbridge when we do the one where you just go out and you're just kind of by yourself, right? And I remember- 20 minutes. minutes. yeah, Yeah, like sensing him, but I just, I don't think I was mature enough or willing to let go of the other parts of my testimony that were keeping me in, in, engulfed and and trapped. And subconsciously, I didn't even know what that was, which I didn't find Mm -hmm. out until I was 29, going to therapy, figuring out what had been suppressed and what was actually um, holding grip on me. So when I had that first encounter where I I can close my eyes and I'll never forget exactly where I was, exactly what God himself said to me, all Mm -hmm. of those emotions, right? Um, and that's really where fit and faith and in, in this podcast and all of that emerged was from that moment and that transition and final surrender. Oh man, that, that, that is awesome. I'm so glad. I mean, I, I think it's wherever you are in life, it's never too late. Yeah. I think a lot of people maybe have, were involved with Jesus or young life or a church or something in high school, college, something. And then they've kind of either on purpose drifted by mistake drifted or wherever. And it's never that that was a little bit of my story too. My freshman year of college, especially, was a time of running towards not away from God. Yeah. And then you just think, well, I've run far enough that <laughs> I, I must be. Yeah, I must be I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't, I can't get back. I can't run all the way back. And so, yeah. but the weird part is, he's right behind you. It doesn't matter how far away so you run. True. Right? Like he is literally there, and is he's never. I don't think, Tamara. I don't think ever that Jesus is ever like this. Mm-hmm. Ever, I don't think he's ever wagging, or, or or God like has his hand yeah, arms crossed. folded. Can't get him up into the screen, but <laughs> you know, my arm, his arms folded, just like looking. I don't see that, and so whenever I feel that, I, I have to remind myself that's that's okay. not from God. That's not Jesus. Good. There is no condemnation, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say like there's not much it, when you do the really bad. It's like, okay, and then get a little of that condemnation. <laughs> yeah. There is no, I'm pretty sure it says no. No, yeah. So it's, 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 uh, but the weird part is if we drift or you do a couple of things that maybe you, you feel like, I mean, are wrong, it, most people, instead of running back to God, like I've, I, I would run away from him or just think, I'm not going back to church. Like that's not, or I'm not going back to young life or whatever. And that's, actually what we need to do. But yeah, a thousand percent. And I think that's where the one of my root passions and, and driving voice, forces are to help obliterate shame. And mm. shame is an enemy tactic, right? And we stay blanketed in it, but it's a self-induced experience. It's an enemy-induced mm. experience. It has nothing to do with God. God yeah. never would want us feeling that way. It's the whole reason he sent Jesus to the cross, and right. so it's just the understanding of what that is and how do you break free from it? Mm, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, to speak into kind of the ministry side of what you've been doing and kind of your life's purpose as well is, is talk to us how this evolution of um, your books has transpired, because I think that they are so ingrained with the ultimate mission that you're on. Yeah. So I, I moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia, where James Madison is in 2004 from Virginia Beach. And, you know, it was a very steep learning curve for my job. You know, I went from 
most of our young life leaders in Virginia Beach are career folks or maybe a couple college students, but flip that to James Madison where they're all in college. And, uh, you know, I got to, what a fun season of life. I lived there for 13 years, but the longer I was there, I realized that, I mean, and JMU kids are just the best, you know, they're energetic. They're so bright. They're involved. It's like, there's a culture at JMU that people hold the doors for people and yeah. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. I have, some, <laughs> you know, like how did this start? Who did this? What was, um, you know, Dr. Mark Warner and oh, now he's the best. I love yeah, him so like, much. And I, I think it's just been some men and women who have helped kind of make that a special place. But I realized that most of the leaders that were graduating and going into the real world, either moving to Richmond or DC or Virginia beach or somewhere and doing, uh, going into the marketplace really struggled, like really struggled, really great kids, really sharp kids, really for the most part, healthy kids and really, really struggled. And I thought something is wrong here. There's a disconnect, right? Like, and looking a little deeper, it seemed like a lot of people did. That was like the year that, you know, you think about those transition years. If you go into college, you graduate high school and then go to college. That's a very important tradition. But then there's one that when you go into the real world, it's like for most people, college is a positive experience. You're living with some of your dearest friends. You might be living in a big house with guys or girls or by the time you're senior. And then you make this jump and so much stuff changes. Uh, you're probably, you probably don't find 10 people to live with your same age that you've loved. And <laughs> yeah, you know, not so much. You're finding on, on the internet, you're on a bulletin, you know, the old bulletin boards or wherever, trying to figure out roommates and moving situations and money and rent and on and on. And so we, we thought school is great, but it just doesn't prepare us for the real world like it should. And so uh, like, I, I realized that because one time we were writing, I was teaching um, the Young Life leaders to write thank you notes. I think thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes are gold. In this age of flying by every digital text, everything, you get a handwritten note. I, everybody I've talked to says, you know what you do with them? You read them you, and you reread them and then you read them again. And I'm, if I get a nice email, I might, I might do that once, but I even have a, I have a drawer where I put all my thank you notes and I have. And when I'm feeling bad, sometimes you might pull out one, you know, what? Good, here and there. Yeah, I love that. Um, actually, there was a guy, um, one of my guys, Bryson, uh, he, I, my, I always did a s small group of every grade, but his senior at JMU and he was living in this huge, the old Sigma Chi house, actually, the, the, the landlord was like, I actually like Sigma Chi, I almost pledged it, but not JMU, but um, the, he said, hey, they've been there 20 years and um, they're, they're done, we're going to rent the house. He's like, would Young Life want it? I'm like, yes. So we have like, you know, there's like 21 guys in this house right off the quad. Nice. And so he's living in there. One of his roommates comes, the parents come in town, take him out to real nice dinner downtown. And he writes him a thank you note, a handwritten thank you. And then this guy, uh, the guy who took him out to eat, his roommate, the dad says, hey, um, I, we're going to go to like Jackson Hole or somewhere snowboarding for spring break. You can bring a friend, but it needs to be Bryson. Uh, that's the only choice. Like, yeah, the guys are like, well, I mean, he's one of my best friends. Jason's like, a, a good snowboarder. Why him? He goes, he wrote me a thank you note uh, for dinner in the fall. And that's Bryson told me the story. And I was like, well, that's the moral of the story. If you write thank you notes, you get free trips to Jackson Hole or Ste maybe a Steamboat Springs or something of snowboarding trips, you know? I love that. That's so good. They um, are special. They are special, right? So we're, we're teaching 
you know, the Young Life leaders to write thank yous. And we're going to actually write two thank you notes to two people they want to thank. Right. You know, I brought cards. I brought, brought stationery, brought stamps, everything. They write them. This guy comes up. I mean, this is a smart kid, junior named Chris. Chris goes, hey, man, uh, what, what, which side? Like, what's the to and from? Where's this go? Oh, no. And I laugh. I laugh. I'm like, no, man, You're just right. put them on. You can put the stamp on. I think he's totally kidding. He's not kidding. And I thought, man, that's, that's something he probably should know by now. He's 21, you know? So, and I have like 10 or 15 stories like that. So we just Yeah, thought, I mean, because to and from is an email and it says to, and then it says yeah. from, and you type in the thing and that's it. You mess that up, right? You mess <laughs> that's it, up. it. No, it's so true. So we, um, and so I, I, I just realized that, but I didn't do anything about it. One of my, um, one of the guys who's actually from Chesapeake named Josh Burnett, he, he graduated. Um, his dad owns the Chick-fil-A at uh, Lynn Haven and at Salem Crossing. Okay. Okay. Nice. As oh yeah. Brian Burnett and great, great family. And Josh got a Chick-fil-A fresh out of college. You know, he's, he's running one in Arkansas. He calls me like three or four years when he's out of college. And I started doing this senior prep course. I was like, I'm going to try to give my best shot to give them, give all my graduating seniors as much as I know about finances, professionalism, time management, how to treat your boss, how to treat your coworkers, on and on, all the different stuff. I love this. This is all under the salary of Young Life outside of your actual job though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the, the, the senior prep course kind of was Young Life training, but you know, they could have okay. been friends. I love we, it. We I made it to Martin's, you know, we made, I'd take them grocery shopping, teach them about unit <laughs> price. So great. And basically it was like, Hey, learn from some of my mistakes. If I can give you some stuff, I've made some costly mistakes that almost derailed my life. In fact, I wanted that to be the title of the first book, but the publisher didn't love that title. I, mean, <laughs> I love it, but I like um, adulting a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, so he went through that and I, he, I would give a packet of like 15 or 20, um, pages of just wisdom that I've learned from the great men and women that I've sat under, or just gotten to know. And so three or four years after college, he calls me and says, Pete, um, I, I sold all my textbooks back the last day. I haven't cracked one of those. I haven't looked at them, but I've looked at your packet all the time. In fact, I usually pick a thing and I run my team. He has about a hundred employees. I think that's average for a Chick-fil-A. He said, I take my team through like one little point every week. And a lot of them weren't spiritual or Christian or, but it, all, all truth is God's truth. And so he said, I, uh, they really loved it. So I shared it with the Arkansas group of Chick-fil-A operators. I guess they get together. They loved it. Some of them took their teams through it. They loved it. They came back to him and said, you should publish this. And he's like, well, he had added some to it about business, but he came back to me and said, hey, this is 80 or 90% your stuff. Would you want to write a book about this? And I said, honestly, I don't even need to pray about it. I think so. Yes. Like, so then we wow. kind of collaborated and tried to crank it out, took, took it around to 20 or 25 publishers. A bunch of them said no. And then we finally found one that was like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they weren't super. <laughs> like, we'll do it. Yeah, well, I mean, like reluctantly, but and that that was kind of the genesis of the book. That is really incredible, and I think at now being in like the throes of the whole publishing piece, like that's a whole thing in and of itself. And I feel like it's been curated, similar to a lot of other systems I could name, but I won't at this moment. I'll let your imagination run wild of <laughs> of the knowing of like it's. It's being, it's eliminating what can be possible and what is initially a God deposit. It's, it's inhibiting people mm. and they're saying, oh, there's the publisher won't publish it. So my idea isn't good or it's not no. worthy of being published. And that's why I love podcasting so much is because anybody can press play 
anybody can do that part. It does take, you know, a little bit of tech and stuff like that, but no different than a book. And so mm -hmm. making way for more Christian books and authors to make way for these kinds of the conversations, because that is critical and crucial. Like four years later to still be utilizing that information as you're sharing it. I'm like, shoot, this would be an amazing high school gift to give high schoolers mm. right before they go into college. Because I can think of one of my girlfriend's daughters right now is like, she's going to the grocery store for the first time. She's going to the doctor's office for the first time. She's doing things she's never, ever had to do. Checks and balances. That's not a thing they teach. Right, and right. it's, I'm a 34 and I could still use some of that information. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I, I'm still learning myself. And, you know, we wrote it from a, we wrote it from a point of like, we haven't have all this figured out, but we're trying to figure out some of it. And, you know, really great parents. It just, a lot of times it just doesn't, occur. They try to, you know, they try to set their child up to kind of make it. But a lot of this practical stuff, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many parents have not had conversations about money with their with their children. Yeah. They're good parents. Like really yeah. good. And so you're right in the middle of it. You have a book yeah. that comes out next week. I do. And tell us the title. Yeah. It's called oh, Always, yeah. Always Becoming Sex, Shame, and Love. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Always yeah. becoming sex, shame, and love. Mm -hmm. You talk about timely, Tamara. Oh my yeah. God, that's going to be, yeah. I cannot wait to read it. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. But I think as you're talking through this change, this time frame of going from college into life, um, I was processing my emotions of where I was. I could put my feet in the sand, right where I was, literally. And the the emotions that were swirling were actually very similar than the same emotions that swirled from high school to college. Is this I this isolation experience that happens? This shift in placement on who am I happened all over again because now I am in an entire other environment. I'm in an entirely. I was in my hometown, so not a new city, but a lot of people are in a new city. They become the smallest fish in this massive pond and they're treading water. Like, I just have to keep swimming, just keep swimming, like Dory said in Nemo. And, and eventually I'll get somewhere, but there's no direction. We are all told from a very young age, at least my generation was, my kiddos, I feel like are a bit different because of the ideology that our generation has shifted to. But it's this understanding. We were told it's high school and then it's college and then it's a job. Yep. And that's yeah. not how I'm parenting because I don't necessarily think that the four years of partying did me total justice, but I do know that my degree served me well. So, right. you know, I, I just think when you're thinking through my whole point in sharing this is like, there's so many conversations swirling through the heads of, of people and children and also adults when they shift to any new environment mm. and isolation, I think is a huge piece to that. How does your book serve or how do you share in that realm at this point in, in your career? Yeah, that that's you you nailed it right on the head. It's so much stuff shifts at once that it can be so disorienting. And honestly, I think social media has su such great purposes, but this is one of those shadow sides of social media. Because you know how many people I knew, Tamara, what was going on with them when I graduated in 1997? Yeah, probably nothing. Like four. Yeah. People I called. If you called, and, exactly. Yeah, call them and see. Now, and we this is we actually go through this in the second book. The first book is more hard skills, professionalism, three or four chapters on finances. And we do have an appendix, so it's appropriate for graduating high school or college, of how to crush college. Cool. So cool. I interviewed people with 100 years of working with college students combined. 
Cool. And he said, what have you seen? What have been the recipes for students, successful students? And you know, I just list them. And so something, but the second book, this I'm much more excited about. We had a book, our second book come out in April. And it's much more about adulting on the inside, growing up on the inside, figuring out, you know, self-awareness and how to lead yourself and emotional intelligence. And we have two or three chapters on social media. And then the whole last second half of the book is about mental health. And we had five counselors also with a hundred years of combined experience working with young people and just had them speak into, we have two chapters each on anxiety, lonely, loneliness, and depression. Um, but I think honestly that social media, I mean, imagine, let's say Instagram is my favorite platform. What, what's yours? What's yeah, your I like Instagram and clubhouse has newly emerged, but um, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That That's my favorite one. You guys might have it. There might, your, your, your listeners might have a different, um, but let's say I follow 730 people. I follow them. I follow m- many more than that. I follow like four times that, but let's just say it's 730. Tamara, that means that every day of, of the year, two of the people I follow are having the best day of their entire year. So, and I don't know what you, you about you, but I post a lot more when things are really fun and going. Yeah, on. of course, you of know, course. Like, hey, I'm I'm home again, alone on a Saturday <laughs> night. Yeah. This is fun, and I'm I'm really lonely. Like, so, at this stage in my life, I actually yearn for that. So. Yeah, yeah, that actually would be a plus. It's like finally my feet are up and I'm doing yes. it online. Yes, <laughs> and I'm by myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but whatever, I should post more than that. And a couple of times that I've been really half joking, but self self uh denigrating posts yeah. are the most like posts my, my, yeah. because they're relatable they're the most relatable because that's actually how people are feeling versus seeing you out on your boat right exactly exactly so the two two people if, if you follow 730 people two people are having the best day of their year every day of your life and you get a front row seat to it more than that 61 people are having the best day of their entire month one of the best 12 days of their year so that means 63 people every day every day when you when I've so no wonder I don't feel great after I look at Instagram. I look at Instagram, I'm like, my life is terrible. Because <laughs> if you're having one of the best 12 days of your year, best day of your month, you post more about that too, usually yeah. two or three times. So that means, and, and most people follow more than 700 people. That's just the only reason 730. No, it's a perfect, it's easy for the math. I got it. Okay. I, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons that, it, and it might be the contributing reason of, being able to look around and see you and everybody has a couple friends that everything seemed to fall into place. But we know that because of social media and guess what? Because of the curation, it's probably not like that. They're not. They're, 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 so, but we're comparing ourselves with other people's highlight reels of their entire life instead of the game film, instead of the day to day nitty gritty. And I didn't, we, I didn't have to wrestle with that because I just knew four of my friends Two of them were fine. Two of them were having a hard time. I'm like, well, I'm kind of in the Can middle. Can we go back to that? Can we go back to that? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> that would make my business so much better. <laughs> right. Exactly, right? So I think, but social media for all its, that, so that's, that's one of the big things is, you know, I, I would bet a lot of your listeners in their 20s, maybe into their 30s, but like you have a kind of, I bet you got a young hip because you're so cool. And Oh, I hope so. I doubt that. I'm like, I'm like mid 30s to mid 40s, actually. Oh, really? Is that yeah. Your, okay. Well, yeah. you know, people will guess you're like 25 and just, you uh, know. I'll take the energy. Move. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think even for 30s to 40s, figuring out our relationship with social media 
is one of the most important things we have to do because it is engineered to be addictive. You guys, we most of us have watched The Social Dilemma. We know, but even I read an article last week that said Facebook knows that it and itself, you know, it owns Instagram. It knows that this is toxic to people and it's still just shoveling it at us. It's engineered to be, you know, the executives of these two companies and most of social media companies don't allow their kids to use it because they're like, oh, this is terrible. Right. Yeah, they're completely open about that too. And and to speak to some listeners we have live who are saying a few of us old folks are in their 50s. I love you. Thank you for being outside of my target audience, but inside of my heart. Right. Uh, so important. But I think what I think as as the explanation to that is a yearning. Like we all want to have that lifestyle. We all are looking to have that um, highlight real experience. And so then we forget to live in the present moment of our actual life. And Mm -hmm. then it creates a longevity. It creates a distance between us actually having that day and us experiencing the current day that we're having. So there's a gap between what we're seeing and what we're feeling. And then the feeling becomes suppression, which is then depression, anxiety, isolation. And so now you're stuck further away from the highlight reel that you could have that God has already promised you to experience literally in that moment. But it is, it's this constant touch points. Um, I'm actually in the middle of a 67 day challenge right now. And a part of it is the five um, practices for morning routine. The first one is don't hit the snooze button. But the second one is don't touch your phone before you do your gratitude and goals, written gratitude and goals, move your body and send a word of encouragement to someone. And like the it. not touching your phone, it is incredible how addicted we are. It's, I mean, it's an addiction. It calls, it, my phone calls to me, it beckons. Yeah, it does. I'm like, what's hey, happening? <laughs> two minutes, just make sure it could be an emergency. You could, you could be some, someone could be hurt. Guess what? No one's ever been hurt. Never. Ever. No. Like, like, If they're hurt, they don't call me. I don't know why. I actually remember, Pete, when I transitioned, when I first had kiddos, I transitioned to having my phone Mm -hmm. on do not disturb at night because Mm -hmm. I needed sleep, right? And my family was actually so offended. They were like, what happens if something's wrong with me? Like, call Gary. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sleeping. Or call twice and I'll put you in the little, you know. (laughs) Call twice back if you call twice me twice at three a.m. You know, my parents. Yeah, never, not one time has there ever been a need that I needed to pick up my phone, even when my siblings were pregnant themselves and I wanted to be at the hospital. It never happened, and Uh so I just think we're we're so used to the access point to everyone that we expect there to be. You need to be on social media if you don't. If you haven't liked my like today, where are you? Are you even my follower? Are you even my fan? Can I do something to offend you? Are we mad? Are we okay? Yeah. Get okay. I think the end point of this is to get okay with self, which is Mm. that whole mental health understanding. Understand your emotions. Understand your EQ, your IQ. That's the college years. But EQ is that season between you get out of college and you get to hopefully, eventually, whether in a relationship, in your job, your ideal situation, the place that you want to be, there's this huge gap that should be identity experience. And I didn't even know what identity meant when I was in my twenties. Nobody talked to me about identity. Right. Right. Can I, can I highlight two things you said? Yes. I, don't want, I don't want people to miss them. You know, cause I also share five years ago, my morning routine. I hadn't, I had a morning routine. I get up, have my quiet time. I'm not a huge coffee person. I make some tea. I, I read a little bit, but I didn't have 
And then I, I read a book called um, The Mir- Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, which is yep. like, he's on the all name team, right? That's the yeah, best name maybe. So <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I'm not saying you need to adopt his or his suggestions, but what is your ideal morning routine? I had never thought about it. And I was 40, Tamara. But so then I get it. And then if I get it three or four times a week, guess what? That's better than zero. Yeah. 100%. I don't know if I've ever gotten it seven times, but I've come, I've gotten five or six. So I think that's so important to, to craft your ideal morning routine, dream about it, and then fix it a little bit, tweak it. But it should, and then, you know, it's good once you get it, you can elongate it out to two or three hours if you have a morning like that, but then you can also make it 10 minutes if you need to, but that'll change. I think morning routine will determine who you are in five years. I know a lot of people say, well, the, you know, the books you read and the people you hang out with, those are important too. But I think morning routine, uh, because it's that time when you don't have the phone, I, I, it should be. When you don't have the phone, you don't, you know, so. Yeah, no, you're so right. I think that that I've never heard it said in those, in that phraseology that your morning routine will determine who you will be in five years, but you're so right because ultimately that's like the most precious time of my day, not to say time with my spouse or my kiddos isn't very precious, but if I don't have that, I am way out of alignment to what I know and how I know I can show up as the best version of myself during that day. If I don't have those specific things and mine's different than what I just mentioned, but that's the challenge that I'm in. I have to, before I put my feet on the ground, pray, I have to send my gratitude. Just the fact that I'm breathing and I'm awake before the sun, I'm always grateful. And Mm. so practicing that gratitude and then for this challenge, writing it down has actually been harder than I imagined it to be, Mm. Um, mainly because when I'm praying, there is no formality there's no formality to the language. Like God knows my heart. Even if I can't curate what the sentence is, he, he sees me, he knows me. We're having a conversation versus writing. It has an air of perfectionism that I don't really love. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out. I need some sweet stream of conscious gratitude, right? I changed the way that this book is laying it out for me, but you're so right. And I think that if people leaned into that and it could be for some people a nighttime routine, but I really believe it's the start of the day that then dictates the rest of your day. And I think I think you're right. Both are important. I still have a fit, my evening routine. I can't speak about it because yeah. I'm still <laughs> not yet. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Uh, but but my morning routine, just trying to give it. You know. And you know what? If you if you don't get it one morning, guess what? God willing, you got another morning coming up the next day. So That's it's like right. we always have a time to improve. Try to do it again quick commercial break. I know I hate these things too, but it's so critical that you grow your business for God's sake. And I mean that pun intended with all the love in my heart to get you from a place of ideation to activation. Stop dreaming, start doing, stand up, start saying yes to the call that God has on your life. We are going to be joining in Lexington, Kentucky with none other than the beautiful Rise and Grind community with Glenn Lundy, who will be co-hosting this incredible conference. This is the second annual, and he has taken me under his wing to be able to share this stage to motivate and inspire, and I cannot wait to see you there. November 5th through the 7th, if you want to come in for the VIP experience, which who doesn't want to come along for VIP? That's all access passes to the speakers and the artists and you'll be able to dine with us in the private rooms with your own special bathrooms. So of course, come one day, two day, three day passes available as well. And we cannot wait, as Glenn and I say, to hug your neck. See you there.
But you also mentioned the, how important our identity is. And I think figuring out our identity and having it be based in Christ is so that, that like the last couple of chapters we wrote, we write both these books. Uh, they don't have any mention of God, Jesus, the Bible until the last chapter in both the books on purpose. I mean, there's definitely some God's truth in there, um, especially when we talk about relationships or money or whatever. But this last one, one of the truths that was like the, the anchor of the last chapter is your identity is received, not achieved. And the world will tell you to achieve it. The world That's will tell so you to, you know, press on, do a little better, never. You, but the actual reality is every single human being has God's fingerprint on their heart, stamped on their heart, the divine spark already inside of them, that our identity is received. And then we, it's more of a discovery. It's more like an adventure to find out how you're wired and what gifts has God given you and what allows you to come alive and all, and the freedom that I I bet I cannot wait to read your book. I bet you mentioned even some of that. There's some of that discovery and we're not very good at it. (laughs) We're not very good at one, uh, you know, allowing, allowing our identity to be received. If that is true, then, then all these things come from that. The inherent worth of every human being on earth, no matter their physical, mental, emotional abilities. Yeah, and I think it's because we live in a hustle culture, right? And that's a part of what I speak to my book. Like we're constantly driven to keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep swimming is is because you we don't want to see you stop. And Swim if you harder. stop, Swim what harder. can happen? Right. Yeah. Go higher, go faster, go longer, go wider. Like we are not all on a football team. We don't play D1, y'all. Like right. not everybody's even in shape. Get with the program. Right. Is the right. understanding that like we have to understand that the doing and the being are, are not the same to God. Mm. Right. It's not by yeah. our works that he loves us. Just like the recipient of his love is not by what we've done, but by what he did for us. Yeah, and so yeah. then we don't have to activate anything other than breath, other than purpose, which is a kingdom thing. And mm. purpose looks very different than an accolade to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, and grace is not like hard. This is not against hard work. I'm a big believer. Oh, in- thousand percent. I know you are too. Yeah. <laughs> I move all day, y'all. I do. I do. But I am being in my doing, but I had a switch in that. Yeah. Great. Grace is not opposed to. Uh, effort, but only to earning, to earning favor, earning love, earning God's, uh, you know, approval, that stamp of approval, that grace stands in defiance to that, but not to hard work. I mean, not to effort. We, we, in fact, even tells us work out our salvation, work out our saving grace by with fear and trembling. So work it out. Let's, 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 you know, hard work is lifted up, but we're not trying to, we're not trying to achieve God's approval. We already have it. So then we get to operate it. Like our obedience is because of his approval and his favor. We already have it. Nothing. And we can't do anything. You know, we can't do anything to make God love us anymore. And we can't do anything to make him love us any less. It it brings me back full circle to what you said at the beginning. No matter how far away we run, when we turn around, he's right behind us. It makes me literally think of that visual where you're like, going to do something like, Oh, you're right there. Oh, you're right there. Why are you right there? (laughs) That was creepy. Like we ask people to follow us, but like, that's kind of creepy. Right. And so he's right there. And, and as much as he says to follow me, he's 
following us. He's recklessly pursuing us every part and to teach us over and over and affirm us over and over again, not just based on his word, which is a massive component to that, but based on the people he even puts into our circles and our spheres. And so he's utilizing all of us as vessels for one another to keep his church in a healthy experience here on earth as it is in heaven. But so often because of flesh, because of the enemy, we have a natural divide that occurs. And so I think when you are understand your identity, that tendency towards competition starts to diminish and we got, get to start looking through the lens of community and communion, right? Yeah. One of the diagnostics you, you mentioned is, can I, can I really celebrate when something good happens to someone else, especially mm-hmm. someone like if I can't, there's something I, there's something inside of me when, but when you have that freedom, when, you know, I, I, I heard a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the person in there, she said, I'm trying to live in a place where I get, I, I, I arrive to where I have nothing to prove, nothing to lose and nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing yeah. to lose and nothing to hide. And I thought, that's what I want to, you know, that's where, that's where I want to, uh, that's where I want to land. And I'm still way, you know, I'm still working towards it, at it, but nothing to prove because our identity is secure in Jesus. Nothing to lose when we know, you know what? Like we only get one go round here and guess what? Everybody gives away the same amount of money when they die. You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. All, all of it. Yeah. Every single, <laughs> every gone. single penny. You know, one of my mentors in Virginia beach would always ask me, Pete, you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? No, Jack, I still haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. of, course, of course you haven't because naked you come and naked you go. <laughs> That's the you best. Better, you better figure out what matters in this life and give yourself to it. I'm like, Jack. It's so true, right? It is. So, nothing to nothing to lose and then nothing to hide. Are we living just out in the open, transparent, in community? Um, so that yeah, that's that's I, I love what you said. Yeah, and you know, I think that's likely the component of in those. I was calling them the wandering years. Uh, In those years, we're actually doing the antithesis of every single one. We're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to prove to our parents. We're trying to prove to ourself that we can survive on our own, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm a big girl. I'm a big boy. I can make my bills. I don't have to ask mommy and daddy for money. I don't have to move back into their apartment. I'm just as good as the other person who's working on wall street already, who also (laughs) is isolated, but acts like they have a lot of money, but they're really just in credit card debt. Like there's all this stuff (laughs) you're trying to prove. We're trying, what was the other one to, Oh, not nothing to lose. Oh, everything's to lot to loss at that point. You feel like you are clinching at the claws just to keep the one thing, whatever that one thing is, hoarding, you're hoarding, right? That's what the hoarding years, that's what we're going to call it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last part is that hiding. I mean, I feel like I was, I, my mask was like the mask. It was so impaled on my face that I didn't know the difference between this version of self and this version of self. So I just stayed in the fun version of self, which everybody loved and invited to the parties and needed me to be there, right? They needed me. And I was actually depleting myself in the giving and the giving and the giving, trying to prove that I was something that I actually wasn't at all. So I- It was the false you. Not the fun part. The fun part is the real you. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) False, you know, it was a false iteration. And we all have those, right? We've, We've almost learned how to 
we've learned how to operate yeah. with something that's false and not us because it's just been easier or we got accolades for it, like you said. And so I think that's part of the journey we're on as far as self-awareness and self-discovery and learning who we are. You know, it's funny, 90, 90 we have this stat in the book, 92% of people think they're self-aware and psychologists would say 10 to 15% actually are. Yeah. So 80% of us are lying to ourselves every day thinking. Well, and that's the exact you know, word I was thinking as you're saying the hiding is really just a bunch of little white lies mm-hmm. that have compounded to a belief system that is a lie, mm-hmm. but you think is true because little white lies are harmless. And right, you right. don't remember all the little white lies that you'd say because you're usually saying them out of generosity to not hurt someone, not make somebody feel isolated, not make somebody feel bad or not make yourself feel bad towards the truth of something. But eventually mm. you're you're so plagued by this massive lie that is, I am not worthy. I am not called. I am not capable. These are huge things that I deal with 50 year old women coming to me on the regular telling me. This is what I believe about myself. Mm. It just makes me want to cry. And that's why I'm mm. glad I had a quarter life crisis versus a midlife crisis. Yeah. But yeah. it still sucked. <laughs> it still isn't fun. Right. It's never too late, right? To kind of try okay. to, to, to figure out, to figure ourselves out and start believing the truth. Yeah. Because if, if, if we really believe what Jesus said, the truth will set us free. I mean, and so anytime we feel like we're bound up, Usually, not every time, but usually I'm believing a lie because lies bind up and they start, they ring you out and they press you down. Whereas the truth really does set us free. Even if it's a hard truth, it still sets us free. There's something in our heart that kind of leaps towards it. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree. And I think relationally, that's where we're broken, right? We're not willing to have that iron sharpening iron where we say it and we think, oh, we'll get close enough. But then when it actually hurts, you run, you flee from that situation. But really like iron sharpening iron is not a soft experience. There has to be truth and there has to be a little bit of piercing in order for that to, that to really be healed to the scar that I believe God wants us to have, to be able to live out of that knowing and that truth. And Mm. so um, I just, I think if we relationally were able to, to be honest enough, to not hide, to not prove against one another and to not feel like we're going to lose something if we're honest, um, Mm. I think that we could have a better secure relational foundation, which would be really pleasing and honoring to God. That's so great. That's so well said. It's so true. Pete, so we have a couple more minutes and I want to ask you a final question because we talked about it at the beginning. What What's next? Like what further vision? How do you see yourself um, saying yes to God in the next couple of years? Hmm. You know, I think when, when I make five-year plans, I think God just like laughs. Every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he likes it. It's not like a it's, I don't think it's a condescending laugh. I think it's like, oh, like where you just, you love something. And you're like, look, look at this guy. That's great. You know, like <laughs> yeah. almost like a, come here. Give me a yeah, hug. let me give you a hug. That's cute. I'll yeah, pat yeah, you proud. on the head. Exactly. Uh, but proud, but proud that, yeah, you keep cheese trying. Yeah. So, you know, I, I still feel called to young life. Um, I still think it's, the, you know, especially now the timing of, I was at Rockbridge. We have a camp, uh, you know, in Virginia called Rockbridge near Washington and Lee in Goshen. And I was there about 450 college students were there this weekend. And, you know, we wore masks inside for the most part and, you know, tried to really, but 
it was it was a blast. It felt, but I, I went to a meeting with for one of the schools and they gave a little space for students to maybe say, you know, speak for five or 10 seconds about something they learned or something they're taking home. And it felt like every, every student started with, well, this has been the hardest season of my life. Well, you guys, some of you guys know, I've been dealing with some personal problems, some challenges. I mean, every, and you know, 15, 20 students shared in every single one. So I think for this next season, it's how can we help people to get healthy on the inside? including myself. And so, cause I think no matter what's happened, the pandemic has been hard for most people. And especially those who have been in school, had their kind of life, um, their certain years of school changed and the uncertainty and mental health was fragile before the pandemic. So I'd like to kind of help. I, I hope that, you know, this, our, our first book took a little bit to get going, a little bit to get traction. And it wasn't really until its second or third year that it really kind of took off. And we're hoping that this, you know, the green book is, which is book two, all about mental health, that it really helps some young people maybe be a bridge to therapy, to counseling. I've been in counseling two times for extended periods of time in my life and might be ready for a third. We'll see, you know, yeah, always. No, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I'm always ready for it. But I think, I think it's still young life, but I also love, I, I've through the books, um, I've gotten a chance to go to some college campuses, to go to some churches and and speak and maybe be with people to maybe run a retreat or something. And I love that. I love being in person with young people and maybe talking about how to wildly succeed in life in, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, mentally. And so I'm hoping to be able to do a little more of that, but honestly, like that. I'm just hoping to ask, ask Jesus, Hey, what do you want? What, what's, what's today bring? And what do I have to do? What do I have to do for my job? I'm not quitting yet, but What's today bring? What's tomorrow bring? Uh, what, what do you want me to do in this next five minutes, this next hour, this next day? Um, yeah. So I know that's not a really specific answer. No, I love it. No, I think it's amazing. And, and, and God knows the hearts and the needs of the youth, right? And, and it's not just the youth. I think adults as a whole, that this conversation of mental health is, is spiraling with purpose and opportunity. Um, and there needs to be people who are rooted in order to enter into those areas and not only shine like the light of Jesus, but also understand with empathy, right? And I think that's the biggest thing. And why I'm grateful for the struggles and the trials and tribulations that I've walked through is because I have empathy that I would have never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think as people are unlocked, their empathetic eye towards those to follow, no matter age, as that part doesn't matter, or ethnicity, that it's more just they get empathy. And I think that's why when you see Jesus love the way that he did, there was no boundaries to that love, right? He just loved as is. And I think um, your work is going to allow people to do that. Mm, thank you. We really hope it does. We, we do hope that uh, for whatever reason, there's still a lot of people that, you know, won't. And I was one of those. Actually, I don't know whether I told you this, but we had seven staff in Virginia Beach and we're at a staff meeting one time. And one of the female staff had a, had a bit of courage and said, share with the group that she was in counseling. And then someone else was like, actually, you know, I just started a couple weeks ago. We went around Tamara. All seven of us were in counseling at once, but we didn't tell anyone. I mean, we, were, we were tight with the staff, but we were so either embarrassed, shame, whatever the term yeah. is, we didn't tell each other. It took someone to kind of crack that door open. And then we all went in and there's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed of for that. And it's like people that are professionally trained to help us learn how to think and deal with stuff that maybe we went through and all that. It's like, so I'm, I'm hoping also that the book, yeah. our second book, 
can maybe chip away a little bit of the stigma of that as well. So love that. Likewise, my, my book has a whole chapter called trainers need trainers. And mm. it's the fact that we're willing as a society to hire someone to fix every single thing about us, our cars, our houses. We will do it. Now. I mean, we, our AC is broken. Ah, right. My husband does right. HVAC. It's like a need right now. Yesterday it needed to be fixed. Right. And when right. it comes to our mental stability, we wait and we wait and we wait until we're so broken that putting us back together is a long duration of time when it could just be a tiny wire fix. And right? you embarrass and so, you go to a brain mechanic for whatever oh, reason. Thousand percent. I, I am. I say yeah. we. I, I was and still am even a little bit. Oh, I was completely. I uh, Sitting on that couch, I was just like, seriously, this is such a joke. And I literally, I lied my way through the first couple sessions. Not joking. I lied my way through. And they they were rooting me on. Right. Like giving me affirmation because I was giving them crap to work with. Right. And I was leaving empowered. My husband's like, I think you need to try someone else. I don't think I don't think right. that's no, right. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said, da, 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 right now I have yeah. power behind my punch. And he's like, <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. Right. So it, I think if people understood that it's just another coach and people, everyone's a coach now and everyone's willing to pay for a coach and their trainer and a personal trainer and a, all the things, teachers we needed. That's where really insert therapists should be in the wandering years, right? That's it when could be the most important coach we ever have. Oh, I mean, hands down for my life. Yeah, yeah, hands down, hands down. He, it's been such a joy having you on the show. I love you so much. I'm so excited for your ministry. I'm grateful to have been blessed by your ministry and energy. And I know it's honestly, I still want to say that it's just the beginning. Uh, Tamara, thanks so much. Love you lots too. It's so fun to see what God's done in and through your life. I mean, and we're just getting started. You're just getting started. I agree. All the above, all the above. You guys make sure you hang out with Pete. He said, Instagram is his favorite place to be. Go get his book, Adulting the book number one or book number two, Adulting 101. You can get on Amazon and all the best places. You can also go to PeteHardesty.com. Links are below. And, uh, I hope you guys, uh, enjoy and see his speaker reel because it's really powerful. So if you have any contacts to get him into speaking with young adults, I think that this is definitely an opportunity to touch base and have somebody incredible come and impact your youth. We love you. Thanks for listening. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fitandfaith underscore podcast or me personally at tamara.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, 
the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.